All right, looking forward to that tonight. And great singer this morning. And with uh, the way we're doing, uh, having some new songs now and then, and, and uh, we're trying to introduce them in a way where the worship team can sing them to you like they just did, and uh, you can kind of get to know them, and then maybe we sing them as a congregation. And uh, most of the songs that we're singing on Sunday morning are songs that we've been singing for eight or ten years around here, and we're just really trying to uh, put it into a format where everybody knows what we're singing and be able to sing it together. And so I'm glad that you're here this morning and looking forward to communion tonight. Uh, don't forget now, next Sunday is our Labor Day weekend. And uh, should I turn this off for a second? You guys get it? You guys can hear me, right? Here we go. Got that fixed. That's great. Uh, so don't forget about that next Sunday. So you got people bringing grills, and your job is to bring, let's see if I get this right, a salad, a side, chips, or a dessert, or just all of them. All right? And we'll provide burgers, dogs, and uh, drinks for next Sunday. So looking forward to that. And it's going to be a great time. And don't forget all the stuff that Pastor Cole told you about tonight. Uh, we have the Lord's Supper as a church together. Looking forward to that. And then we have a short business meeting. And then our life group uh, vision night tonight and a, a little dinner for you. We're going in our Bibles this morning back to Matthew chapter 5. And uh, don't forget uh, there in Matthew 5 to go back through these first verses that we've been covering throughout the month as we've looked at the beginning of the most famous sermon that Jesus ever gave. And it's the section known as the Beatitudes, and you've probably heard them before, blessed are the poor in spirit and those who mourn, and uh, we talked about uh, the meek, and those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and the merciful, and the pure in heart, and the peacemakers and the persecuted. And what we said is that all these principles are given for our fulfillment and for our happiness, both now and in eternity. But you know, it goes deeper than that. Um, God did not just make us so that we could be happy, right? Now, he made us to be happy, but he didn't just make us so that we could be happy. He made us so that he could be happy, right? In fact, it tells us that uh, we are created for his good pleasure. And, and so we have to get the whole thing in perspective. It's not just about us. It's also about him. And uh, so the, as we talk about this morning, 
We, we want to understand that all of God's gifts to us, all of God's gifts of grace and the fruit of the Spirit, the Beatitudes and the values of the kingdom that we've been talking about, that they're given to us to complete the Great Commission. They're given to us to glorify God by bringing others into his family. And so that's where we are this morning, back in Matthew chapter 5. And today our reading is just four short verses. And I'm not going to have you stand. I just want to read these verses to you, starting there in verse number 13. You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And this morning, we're going to talk about using the Beatitudes. The notes are provided in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along with us. And let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that you are the great God of all the universe. And we thank you that you've created us for your good pleasure. We thank you that you've made us to be instruments in your family and to be what you've created us to be. And, and I pray that you would guide us now as we talk this morning about using these attitudes and these actions called the Beatitudes in our daily lives and in our daily walk. Yeah, I pray that you would guide us now. We ask it in your name. Amen. All right, so you ready for a series of questions this morning that will determine whether or not you are third world people or you are rich Americans. Right? So here we go. Here we go through a series of questions. How many of you have something in your garage that you never use? Okay. How many of you, you have a person sitting next to you and you would like to raise your hand double for that person? Okay. All right. Now, how many of you have, have, have an outside shop beside your garage that you have stuff in that you don't use? Okay. Confirmed. You are rich Americans. Um, how about you have something in your closet that you haven't worn or used for the past year? Right, now, be honest with me. How many of you still have clothes in your closet from the 1970s? Right? How many of you, your kids, have accused you of having clothes from the 1970s? Right, yeah, that's happened, that's happened to me. Yeah, I was around in the 70s, but you know, I don't still wear the same clothes. Although my kids have made fun of me ever since I told them the story that I wore the same shirt in my kindergarten school picture as I did in my fourth grade school picture. <laughs> That's pretty awesome, right? And I may have even worn it in one of the years in between. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, how many of you have ever had to throw something away from your refrigerator because you didn't use it in time? Rich Americans. How many of you have something in your pantry that you have discovered is over two years past the date, and you still used it. <laughs> we discovered something in our pantry as we were, we were moving, right? We moved recently. We discovered something in our pantry 
that had an expiration date of 2006. Yeah, we didn't need it. 2006, like what happened? How could that stay in the pantry that long? Did we, did we not know it was there? What? I don't understand. Um, how many of you have something in your shed that you have never used before? And it's still just sitting there, yeah, yeah, okay. So we're getting, we're getting into that, you know, that ground of that we're pretty spoiled. But that's not the whole point of the message. That's kind of a dig at you, right? It has nothing to do with the message. Um, here's what the point is that I'm trying to make. We are talking about the Beatitudes today. And the Beatitudes are supposed to be used to glorify our Father in heaven and to accomplish His purposes on the earth. And here's what I kind of feel like with the Beatitudes, because we've covered them all eight, and we know what they are. I sometimes feel like the Beatitudes are the food in our pantry that we forget to use. And the, the uh, you know, in our fridge, the thing that always goes bad every single time, there's two things. One is green onions. We always forget to use them. And the other is lettuce. And I think it's, I've always had this theory that it's because it's in this special drawer, right? You're supposed to keep it in this special drawer to make it crisp, and then you forget you have that drawer. Right? And so you open that drawer like that one time you open it in a month, it's like, whoa. That's some really gross lettuce in there. We've got to get rid of that stuff. That's kind of how the Beatitudes are. It takes a series at church once every two or three years where you're like, oh yeah, blessed are the meek. I remember that one. Right? Blessed are the pure in heart. Ew, it's not looking good in my life. Blessed are those uh, who are peacemakers. We talked about that last week, stepping in that gap. And how sometimes to be a peacemaker, you have to be confrontational because you have to go into the gap between two parties. You have to go into the gap of a relationship with you and somebody else, and you have to figure out what happened, and you have to fix it. And uh, taking these things out for a spin and using them is different than just knowing about them. And so Jesus, he was the one who kind of set this forth, he knew that the Beatitudes were these great principles and these great attitudes and these great actions, but that they might not be used by his disciples. And so he gave two well-known word pictures that we just read about. One is salt and one is light. And so Jesus wants his children, the poor in spirit, the merciful, etc., etc., to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And this might be new information to some of you, but there are some who have been singing this little light of mine since you were in preschool, right? And you know all the verses. And my favorite verse is, don't let Satan it out, right? I can't do it in this mic. Don't let Satan, it doesn't, it doesn't the way I want it to. I used to be able to, you have to use the other mic for that. Don't let Satan it out. I'm pretty sure that we're discussing things today that are not a knowledge issue. They're primarily an application issue. But that's really life in general, isn't it? And somewhere in between what we hear and what we know is what we actually do. And when we do 
and what we know are combined, then we have a life for God. And if what we know and what we plan to do are different than what we actually do, then we're no better than the politicians out there who tell us about their intentions all the time. And there are a lot of Christians who what they know and what they do are kind of separate issues. They don't ever get done. And I have to tell you up front that using the Beatitudes isn't going to happen accidentally. It only happens through diligent, purposeful follow-through. And so let's get into these four verses today and find what God has for us. And we begin uh, with this topic in your notes, pass the salt. All right, now when we think of salt, when I think of salt, ever since I was a little kid, I've always thought of this. Right, now how many of you, uh, you use the Morton salt? How many of you use the Morton salt? How many of you use just whatever brand is the cheapest? Okay, the Morton salt, by the way, is not high dollar. Okay, it's still under a buck anywhere in the United States. Yeah, you get this big old thing, and this will last for a while. I mean, do you know how many batches of chocolate chip cookies you can make with just this one container? Uh, so, so past the salt is this very interesting thing. Because when we hear the words of Jesus and, and then we do the words of Jesus, we're called the salt of the earth. And, and so trying to figure out what that means is important. Uh, it's, it's so interesting that Jesus gave another word picture at the end of this same sermon uh, that's kind of familiar to us too. Look over at Matthew 7. i just throw this in. Because Jesus describes who the salt of the earth are in another word picture. You guys remember this story probably from a song you used to sing in Sunday school. Matthew 7, 24, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. So the salt of the earth are the wise ones whose actions and attitudes match up with their theology. By the way, your real theology, your living theology, is what you do. It's not just what you know. Right? There are a lot of great theorists on theology, but we're supposed to not just be theorists, we're supposed to be doists. I don't know if that's a word, but it sounds good. All right, so when it comes to theology, we're supposed to be doists. And the salt of the earth are the ones who hear and then they do. And so Jesus gives this incredibly common symbol of one of the major functions of being a disciple. You know, the information age has caught up with what some of Jesus knows about salt. And so what if we Google uses for salt? I wonder what would come up. Well, I found out. 91,200,000 results in .79 seconds. And there right at the top, there's Reader's Digest with 60 different uses of salt. And there's seasalt.com with salt uses and tips. And I went down and counted all of them. There's 72 things on that one page with salt tips. 
for the culinary arts, and for kitchen cleaning, and for household cleaning, and for health and beauty, and for other general household uses. And it turns out that salt, salt, I can't even get it to do that. need like a microphone on the bottom of it. Uh, it turns out salt is a pretty useful thing. Even in the modern age, when we have entire aisles at the store filled with cleaning supplies and compounds, and I read in the little packet there that some, that, uh, some of the things that I knew about were right in there that I heard of, but I also read some that I had no clue. Uh, for instance, if you soak pecans in salt water for several hours before shelling, the nut comes out easier. Now, I bet my dad would have liked to know that like 35 years ago because he shells pecans every year, like millions of them. And if he would have only known, it could have made a huge difference. Uh, do you know if you put a pinch of salt in milk, it keeps it fresh longer? Did you guys know this? Some of you are like, oh yeah, I'm in, I knew that. I'm a salt expertiser. You know, to prevent mold on cheese, you can wrap it in a cloth, dampen with salt water before refrigerating. It'll keep your cheese longer. I never knew that. You can remove coffee and tea stains from your, your china or your cups by rubbing them with salt. Do you know a new broom will wear longer if it's soaked in hot salt water before you first use it? Hey, here's a tip. Those little white rings that are left on a table from wet or hot dishes or glasses can be removed by rubbing a thin paste of salad oil and salt on the spot with your fingers and then letting it stand for an hour or two. It's great stuff, right? You had to come to church to learn this. <laughs> you can use salt for cleaning your teeth, for washing your mouth, for bathing your eyes, for treating stings and bites. You can use salt to invigorate your goldfish. You can use it to deodorize your shoes, which I'm so glad we found out for my son's sake. And uh, you can even use salt to kill poison ivy. It could be, I, it's possible, that maybe Jesus knew what he was talking about when he called his children salt. See, we are here to preserve the world from decay. You take the Christians out of a society and you watch what happens. You find out what happened in Europe when they tried to take Christianity out of an entire generation. And now you can walk through cities and villages where every church house is basically empty. And you can walk into a secular society who have no regard for God. Take the Bible out of a society and watch its direction. You wonder where, why we're, we are where we are as a nation, and it has a lot to do with that. We are here as the salt of the earth to add a pleasant and a godly flavor to the culture. And to those who are hungry in Christ or hungry for Christ, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 2 that we are a sweet savor that leads to God's grace. To those who reject Christ, we are like, now this word picture is not in the Bible, but it's just my own. It's like when you get sea salt in your swimsuit. Right? The people who hate God, that's what we're like to them. 
when you get sea salt in your swimsuit and you walk around all day with it. This apparently has never happened to anyone else. Somebody else is it you're just not admitting it? You've never how many of you have never been to the ocean? All right, a, a couple of people have never been to the ocean. All right. Well, that was the problem with that word picture. You've never been to the ocean. How would I have known? You know, we rub people the wrong way, you might say, as God's children. And our role as salt is to be cleansing souls through the Word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And so, past the salt is really a correct term for us, because God's children are good for what ails the world. Now, here's the issue and here's the problem, as Jesus talked about, back in Matthew 5. And look at it again. He said, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing. Now, that's our second part of the message, and maybe that's where the term came from, good for nothing. And uh, so you've got to think about this. In Jesus' day, people did not have this, right? They didn't have this. There were no processing plants that put this all together. They didn't have the table salt that we can buy from any grocery store, convenience store. And by the way, this doesn't really go bad. It's, it's a chemical compound that retains its saltiness. But back in the ancient East, when they said pass the salt, this is not geologically correct. I'm sorry, Brother Forrest, but it's all I have. Apologize. When they said pass the salt, they may pass one of these. Right? Can you imagine this? You're at the table, you're having roast lamb, and they say pass the salt, and you're like, <laughs> it's like, how is it going to work? And then so then they take this little hammer and they'd hit it, right? And you'd get some salt on your roast lamb along with some other minerals and things. And it'd just be delicious, it'd be terrific. Um, we were up at the family camp out this year. Man, it's getting heavy. I might have to get a teenager to hold it for me. Uh, by the way, our teens are doing a new thing on Sunday morning's first hour. They're doing a thing called Teens in Service, where they get to serve in the church in the first hour on Sunday mornings. We're excited about it. You know, I may get, Colby, would you like to come and be a teen in service for the pastor this morning? Thank you. Look how big he's getting. He's getting to be a big kid. All right, here you go. See how long you can hold that. <laughs> you can't use your belly. No, you don't have to hold it up. Just, just hold it out. It's okay. All right, there's the salt right there. Well, I was telling you a great story. Oh, yeah, the, the, the family camp out. We're up at the family camp out. And uh, we did this roast chicken and the uh, thing. I don't even know what you call it. The Dutch oven. And it was great, terrific. Well, when I went to get mine out of the Dutch oven, I dropped it right on the ground. And, uh, you know, I told everybody, because it's trying to be macho, oh, it's okay, I'll eat it. It's not a big deal. And so I picked it up, put it back on my plate, tried to dust some stuff off. I'm telling you, it's rough stuff. When you're picking rocks and sand out of your teeth as you eat chicken, it's no good. It's not a good thing. Now, you think about the people in Jesus' day when they said, pass the salt, and this is what it meant, that you actually had to chip 
you can hold it. You actually had to chip the, the salt out of the rock. That's rough stuff. You did good, Colby. Thank you. He's a great kid. All right. So here's the deal, though. They mined their salt from veins in the rocks or from out in the desert, and salt was this most precious, wonderful thing. And the nomads would actually go out three or four days on camels and get salt and bring it back, and it was worth more than gold. It was incredibly valuable because people wanted salt. You know, they would get to these rocks and these veins of rocks that had long been exposed to sun and wind and rain and freezing air and hot air. And they found, just as Jesus said, that there were parts of these salt veins that had lost their saltiness. Because enough moisture and enough uh, temperature change and enough of all of these elements had gone in and caused the saltiness to be lost from the salt. Yeah, this is pictured, ironically, it's not ironic at all, Jesus did it on purpose. Later in the Sermon on the Mount, remember we talked about the wise man who built his house upon the rock? And he heard the sayings and did them. The foolish man is the salt with no savor. The foolish man is the person who hears the word of God but never does it. So the foolish man is the salt with no savor. It's good for nothing. There's nothing distinct about it anymore. There's nothing that makes it any different from the millions of other rocks that are headed down the broad way that leads to destruction. So let's think this through for just a second. If we know what all the Beatitudes are, but we never take any care to actually live them, we might be labeled as salt, but not be at all salty. And uh, James in his epistle says it this way, faith without works is dead. Salt without savor is useless. Uh, I like how the author of Hebrews said it. Listen to this. this. This is incredible. It's Hebrews 4. The word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Do you know, faith in Jesus is what makes the salt salty. We can know what to do, but if we never mix in faith and we never live it and we're never active in what God wants us to do, we're useless, good-for-nothing salt. Then there's light. Now, light's a, a totally different one. And it's another word picture that uses that Jesus uses here in Matthew 5. And uh, just to refresh us now, let's go back to it in Matthew 5, 14. He says, you're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. And so let's talk about, for just a minute, a city set on a hill. This is another important word picture of light. It's one that Jesus used more than once. Later, he told the Pharisees in John 8, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And think about how the Gospels describe Jesus walking through towns and villages. And every time he walked through a town or village, it's like everybody knew who he was. 
His glory could not be hidden. Even though Isaiah 53 says that he was just like any other man, when Jesus walked through a village, every beggar found him. Every blind man reached out to him. Every lame person begged him. Every person who had a sick child ran to him. The people with pressing needs gathered around Jesus because he was the light of the world. And here's what you need to know. Those who need light are naturally drawn to light. Isn't that fascinating? That's why this word picture is so important. <laughs> you know this, right? Have you ever in the middle of the night, your wife changed the furniture the day before? And you walked through and uh, maybe stubbed your toe or tripped over something. And a, a couple uh, years ago, my wife had put up a, a gate so that the dogs couldn't get to our daughter while she's sleeping or something. I have no idea. And I walked up the stairs, and I'm just tootling down like normal to our room, right? It's the way I walk at the house. And um, <laughs> don't do it at church. Be weird. But I'm, I'm going down the hallway, and uh, she had put one of those child gate things up, and the hall's dark. <laughs> And I'm walking down the hall, it's like, whoop, just straight over. And I, I'm kind of dramatic when I fall or when I get hurt. It's like, ah! <laughs> Boom. So she runs up the stairs. What happened? What happened? Well, you know, and fell down with the gate. Why? Because it's dark and there's something in my way and I couldn't see it. And what's the first thing that we do when darkness causes us pain is we seek light. And Jesus is light. And because Jesus is light, we're light. And those who need Jesus are naturally drawn to people who act like Jesus. Isn't that weird? Strange how that works. Jesus said it would work this way. If a city, here's where this word picture comes into play. If a city is on top of a hill, you can't hide the fact that it's there. It's not a secret to anyone. And those who publicly profess the name of God can't hide their lifestyles from the world around them. It won't be a secret to anyone when a Christian's around. The eyes of the world are going to be on those people and scrutinize their actions and look at their attitudes. And what is it they're looking for? They're looking for some light. Because the human race is filled with darkness, the darkness of sin. And those who want out of the darkness are looking for something or someone to light the path. And those who love the darkness are watching for an opportunity to dim the light and to call out the hypocrisy of the light and to call out the parenting of the light and to call out the priorities or the language or the hobbies or the habits of the light. And here's why. If you are supposedly a light and you're just like me, darkness... I don't need to change. I'm okay. Right? That's why people at your workplace and people in your neighborhood, if you are known as a Christian, they kind of gauge their life by you. And it's like, well, if I act just like him and he's a Christian, I guess I'm okay. Right? If, if, uh, if she's a Christian and I do all the same things she does, I guess I'm good with God. And, and so when we are a light when we're a city on a hill, we've got to be careful. And so it says a city on a hill can't be hidden. But I want you to notice a key word here in verse 14. Look at it again. You are the light of the world. A city that is 
set on a hill. That means that it is purposely, strategically placed on a hill. As a keeper of the Beatitudes, we are supposed to strategically put our lives on display to reflect Jesus Christ. And if you're living out verses 3 through 12, then you're not going to mind who's watching your life. But I'll tell you this. If you aren't living out the Beatitudes, you don't want your life anywhere near the top of the hill. You don't want your life under any scrutiny because there's something to hide. And that's why there's verses in the Bible like Proverbs 28, 13. He that covers his sins shall not prosper. Because God's children are known to try to hide from the top of the hill so that nobody notices how we're living. It's a, a city on a hill. But then we get to this last one, verse number 15, and you guys probably are familiar with this one. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel. That's, that's our last thing. Have you ever pulled your phone out during the day and discovered that your battery was almost gone? And you think, man, that battery went quick. I tell you what, Apple or Samsung or whoever it is, they're not making good batteries anymore. I'm tired of these people. And then you notice something. Your flashlight was left on. Now, be honest, though. Who would have thought 20 years ago that phones would have their own flashlights? That's crazy stuff. If you turn your light on and then you put it in your purse, it won't do much good for you or anyone else. And if you put your light in your pocket all day, it's not going to profit you or anyone else. And normally, we would only do that on accident, right? We don't turn our phone light on on purpose and they say, you know what? I think I'm going to put that in my pocket. That'd be dumb. It just doesn't make any sense. You know, putting your candle under a basket isn't done on accident either. See, Jesus gives us only two options, and there's no middle ground. And a, here's the first option that he gives us. To purposely and strategically place our lives as a light on a hill. That's the first option. The other option is to purposely hide our light so no one knows that we belong to God. And once again, there's no middle ground. Negligence in the Christian testimony area is purposeful. Negligence is the same thing as willful disobedience against God. His light should never be concealed or neglected. Instead, it always reflects the light of God's grace. And what reflects the light of God's grace always points to God's glory. I love verse number 16. Look at it one more time. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Jesus says, let your light, the one given to you through salvation in Jesus Christ and entrance into the family of God, let your light so shine. So meaning like the light deliberately placed on the candlestick in verse number 15 and the light deliberately set on a hill in verse number 14. Let your light so shine before man. 
That's not talking about quiet, subdued Christianity. That is a bright and shining Christianity. And then there's the why. Let your light so shine before men. Why? That they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Your light doesn't shine just so that people will look at you and think, you know what, he's amazing, she's amazing. But so that people will think, he or she has an amazing God. Maybe you're in church today because it's a habit in your life, or you feel it's your duty, or maybe you're here because you deeply need God to work in you. We all have times when we'd rather no one know we're children of God, but it is time to take the bushel basket off and to lift high for all to see the light God's given us. But we live in a backward world and I, I tell you, it's so rotten, and it's sickening, and it's really amazing. Uh, amazing. You know, our progressive culture today celebrates those who come out with one label or another, where they come out of the closet, and they label themselves with these lifestyles that are totally and miserably opposed to our God. And yet Christians are timid and fearful to let anyone know we belong to God. And to let anyone know that we identify with Christ. Because we don't want to push our religion on anyone. Or we just want to be tolerant because God loves us all. I'd like to close this topic of light today over in 1 John chapter 4. It's such a tremendous passage here. And you really should study it. I don't have time to study it right now with you. I, I just want to read through it. First John 4, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. Whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already it is in the world. And boy, we have the spirit of Antichrist running rampant all across the world today. Even religions that consider Jesus Christ to have come to this earth and be a real life person who don't consider him to be the very God are Antichrist. Now, there are major religions that fit into that category. But look at verse 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You notice that word overcome? That word does not portray a limp-wristed, mamby-pamby Christianity. That's describing a bold faith. That's describing a bright light because we are certain that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so, yes, we show the love of Jesus to those around us. And yes, we speak always with grace, seasoned with salt. But no, we don't hide our light just because the culture doesn't like it. And we don't back away just because somebody labels us or calls us names. We are children of the Most High God. We have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And if we hide that under a bushel, 
who's going to be able to see the light. The Beatitudes are profitable to your life. They bring happiness in Jesus Christ, both now and in eternity. But remember, these principles aren't just for your churchy relationships. They are for all your relationships. And God wants us to use them for his glory. So you could read it this way. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your beatitudes and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let's go out and live the beatitudes this week. Bow with me in prayer.